was talking to my in-laws this week, and they said, what are you preaching on this Sunday, Dave? And I said, well, I'm going to be preaching a sermon on the need for biblically faithful churches to be preaching from the Bible. And these are both Christians, and they looked at me and they said, yeah, that would be good. That would be good if, if biblically faithful churches that say this is God's word would actually preach from the Bible. That seems to make a lot of sense. And I think in their minds they thought it's going to be a short sermon. Like, let's just say that and be done and sit down and keep singing and do some other things. It, it ought to be really painfully obvious that that's true, but it's not all the time. If you're new to church or have maybe wondered about these Christians who seem to come and go, I've met many of our neighbors and they say, you guys have a lot of meetings, don't you? A lot of times people are coming and going and sometimes I talk to people, they go, what goes on in here? What are these meetings all about? If you're new to that or if, if you just haven't been in church in a long time, let me, let me just kind of put it out there really briefly. Uh, this is a quote from a, a couple of guys who wrote a book on preaching called Saving Eutychus. And if you know your Bible story, Eutychus was a guy that fell out the window because the sermon was going so long that he fell asleep, fell out of the window, and died. So the book title, Saving Eutychus, is how to preach God's word without killing people, something to that effect. Um, Here's what he said. He says, like FedEx or a good obstetrician, preachers deliver. Week after week, we face up to our fears, rise to our feet in front of a not-so-crowded church, and speak. This is a little short book on preaching. Excellent. It's talking to preachers. We're in a series right now called Church is God's Idea. And the whole thought behind it is, is that God dreamt up this whole thing called church. We have different sized light bulbs that we're kind of playing with in this metaphor because they're all different kinds of churches. There's different sized churches. There are some really interesting churches. There are high wattage churches that give off lots of light and other ones that are really tiny and fit in small places. And that's just like the church. We know that God has made some things about the church that are common to all churches, no matter their size or brightness. We know that without a power source, a light bulb is rather dull and very fragile. So it is with the church. One of those common traits that all light bulbs share, that all churches share that are biblically faithful, is that the word of God is preached, that the word of God is central to the community. The title this morning really teaches a lot. Stand and deliver is a good picture of what preaching in the church should be. Stand. Stand means that someone is in a place of authority. Some of you might be thinking right now, who is this guy to stand up and talk to me? We live in a society where everyone gets to weigh in. Even on TV, right? We're going to take your Twitter feed so you can be part of the broadcast. Everyone has a voice. Who is this person to stand up and authoritatively say something to me? That's a good question. The Bible has an answer for that. I'm the preacher. I'm one of the pastors that stands up and by the authority of God preaches the word of God to the people. Deliver. Deliver what? Deliver God's word. A church congregation ought to demand that their pastors are feeding them God's word, not in a, not in a, in a sinful way but in a passionate way to say, feed us the word. That's what we're hungry for. That's what we need. Proclaim God's word, not just proclaim. Um, as, a, as a pastor, God hasn't given me a call to stand up and talk, but stand up and speak his words to the people. When it's done, churches form around God's ideas and God's personality and God's values and God's priorities and not the pastor's. 
not to church leaders. So that's what we're seeking to do. You'll notice that the words are in purple. Purple is the royal kingly color, right? And so this is kingdom work. We're to stand and deliver. We're to make the kingdom central to what we're talking about and what we're doing. Of all the things that we could stand up and spend 52 weeks a year doing, uh, what should we be talking about? Social issues, things that affect our marriage, uh, things that affect our money? Uh, maybe, but central to all of that ought to be the kingdom of God and, and kingly work. I think it's a real sign of the times that preaching the Bible is essential, needs to be taught, right? Uh, we live in a time when in certain circles, uh, preaching is really under attack uh, on the one extreme or just kind of marginalized on the other extreme. In fact, so is what we're doing right now called gathering for a church service. In many places, that's something that is looked down on. You'll notice that I'm preaching from a pulpit. Uh, some of you, uh, some are already concerned because they say, Dave, you, you move the, the, the music stand a lot around, and this one you can't move as much. It's, it's kind of a little bit more solid. One of the features of this pulpit that you don't know about but I do is it has a cup holder. Now, that's not a big deal for a car, but I think it's a pretty big deal for a pulpit, right? This is a pretty sweet model. So I'm actually using it because I'm like, how cool is it that I have a cup holder in this model of a pulpit? Good stuff. Yeah, we don't want that going anywhere. Come check that out after service. It's pretty sweet. You know, I've run into a lot of people and um, just get in conversation about, you know, life and where they're at and spiritual things and whatnot. And a really prevalent concept, a really prevalent um, conversation that people have is, you know, me and God are good, especially when they hear I'm a pastor. They say, oh, that's, that's good, you know, but me and God are good. I really don't need a church. Um, I don't need teachers, no offense, pastor. But, you know, I, I have my faith and, and we're solid and, and we're good. You've probably heard that too. Here's the really blunt truth. The Bible knows nothing of churchless Christians. The Bible knows nothing of solo Christians who just go at it alone. Many, many people who do this are hurt people who are escaping church. In other words, they, they tried church. They tried to be a part. And guess what? They were injured. They were hurt. Some were, some were probably legitimately spiritually abused in some way. In, in, in other words, they submitted to a leadership that was, that was not good. And so they're escaping that and they're running from that. To have concepts that we don't need the church are non-biblical man-made ideas that feed the self. Part of what this whole series is, is to put ourselves humbly before the Lord and say, God, we want your idea for the church. You dreamt it up. You have ideas for it. Always, always, because the church is led and inhabited by sinful people, man's way and man's ideas creep in and shove out God's over time. And so this is just a flush to just say, Holy Spirit, come in and scrutinize us. We want to get back to what you have in mind for the church, for preaching. So turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Who needs preaching? I've heard that many, many times. That's a valid question. Is it biblical or not? One book goes so far as to say it's, it's not only not effective or boring or too authoritative or too man-centric, but it's actually unbiblical and detrimental to, to what God's doing. It was actually adopted from a pagan culture. Is that true? We ought to examine that and say, if that's true and we've just uh, perpetuated a tradition and we have the freedom to preach or not to preach, we ought to look into that. Blogs and books abound on preaching bashing. 
Old-fashioned, ineffective, out of touch, and too authoritarian. Those are some of the labels. Now, many people's kids say that about their parents, right? It doesn't make the statements valid, but that's what's happening with preaching. I'll tell you what people don't need. People don't need more self-help presentations, religiously-themed lectures that kind of keep them sedated in their false sense of security that they and God are good. That's not what people need more of. Every single person in this room, from the sharpest-looking person to the person you think is the most godly to the person that you're judging right now going, they're probably at the bottom, the least godly. Everyone in this room and everyone outside this room is not only prone to wander, like it happens once in a while, but is given to wander. They end up off track. We end up off track. We have this incredible propensity to be able to self-justify our actions and to be able to tell ourselves why it's okay or it's someone else's fault or whatever. And, and we get off track. Preaching is one of the messages for calling people back home, calling people back to the straight and narrow, calling people back to say, this is the way you love. This is the way that you've chosen. This is the way of life. Get back here. Biblical preachers comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable because the Bible comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Think about all the invitations that you have coming into your life from all directions. Think about your little screen and all the invitations that are coming. I'm not just talking about Evite here. I'm just talking about those little whispers that are calling for your attention, calling for you to come over. Proverbs chapter 9 starts off with wisdom personified. And wisdom has essentially prepared a feast to eat and then sends out invitations. Listen to it. It says this. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Hey, the party's ready. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Whoever lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. I'll tell you where this always made the most sense to me growing up. In church. In church on Sunday morning. I would hear something like this and it would lift my spirit and say, yes, that's how I want to live. That's the way I want to walk in. It's easy to receive this and think this is a great idea on Sunday morning in church, right? But we're all leaving here at some point and we'll get back to our life and we'll be flooded from some other things. Contrast wisdom's invitations to that of folly. It goes on in verse 13. The woman of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She takes a seat on the highest places in town, calling, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is, is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of shale. As folly shouts and wisdom slowly crumbles, here's what ends up happening. You find yourself once again in that pit you swore you'd never be in again. Why? Because you accepted the invitation of folly and rejected the invitation of wisdom. 
Here's the principle in verse 10 to hold on to. In fact, this is the principle to memorize. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Preachers are called to keep that message in front of the community. Not the sole voice saying that, but to hold that up week after week, whoever fills the pulpit and says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So why wouldn't we want to come and gather and glean from God's word on what he's like and what he has done for us and what he wants us to walk in? I want to show you from the scriptures very briefly that God preaches. God thought up preaching and he is the great preacher. Look at the power of the spoken word all through the Bible. In the beginning, God spoke and accomplished his will. He said, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, if God's a preacher and he's from the south, he says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God could have said it any way he wanted, but his word affected things and brought light into being. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Catch this. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, and it shall not return empty to me. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word goes out and it has a purpose and it is achieving that purpose. God's word not only creates the universe, but it actually creates spiritual life. If you were to go and read Romans 10 in its entirety, you would see the the role of the spoken word in creating spiritual life. And then in the book of Acts, early church, it says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God and God's speaking has been central. God not only speaks and provides his word, but he also chooses to work through people who are speaking his words. Think of the prophets in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. They were given a charge not just to speak. Don't just go and speak to these people, but go and speak my message to my people. And as long as they did that, they had all the authority in the world. The call of all preachers traces its roots to the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament as used by God as he's mentoring a young pastor named Timothy. And in our passage today, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see this. He says, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready, verse 2, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You ever have a brilliant idea? It's, it's been a while for some of you, but it's been there. You've had them before, right? You're working a problem. You're thinking, how can we figure this out? And boom, you get it. It comes to you. If you're taking notes this morning, you couldn't miss it. There's an aha moment that I want you to catch, and here it is, okay? Here's the aha. God is the ultimate preacher. He's the ultimate preacher. So he dreamt up preaching to build up the church. God dreamt up 
preaching to build up the church. It's his idea to do this. It's his calling and it's his equipping and it's his sustaining that keeps preaching going through the centuries. It's literally why we are sitting here today. It's because someone preached the word to us, and the word had its effect. It went out just like Isaiah said, and it had its effect, and it brought up new life, and it sprang to life new creations. In this series, as you know, our Spanish-speaking service, our third service, is tracking along with us. We're all preaching the same thing. In fact, Angel's going to come and preach it. And here in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be preaching in, in our Spanish service in a little bit as well. We want our entire church, no matter what language we speak, to be on track with saying, God, we want to have your idea and your ideals for what we're striving for, where we're pointing as a church. <clears throat> Together, he and I both are, are using a material called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's by a pastor back east somewhere, and I probably got a hold of this material over 10 years ago. And the nine marks of a healthy church, he lays it out this way. These aren't the nine marks. There's plenty of others. But these are nine marks that don't seem to be talked about quite as much. And the one that he starts with, the one that he says is most important, because if you get this right, all the others should tend to take care of themselves, is this one right here. That expository preaching from God's word week in and week out is something that marks a biblically faithful church. He says, if you have this, the other marks that we're going to talk about should have a way of taking care of themselves. Why? Because the congregation's imagination is being reshaped and refreshed as God's word is being preached. If you take this one away, you probably have no hope at the other ones. If you get the other ones right, it might be by sheer accident or just the generosity of God that would keep those things going. That the word of God is central. God meets with and rules his people. He comforts and instructs the church. Not by well-facilitated small groups where everyone just shares kind of what God's doing in their life and everyone brings their own interpretation to, to what that passage means to them. As good as some of that can be, but by the authoritative, consistent, biblical practice of preaching God's word to the people. It's always been this way. God not only spoke, but gave words to the people to speak. Some of you are reading the blended plan. The blended plan is reading through the entire Bible in one year, and it takes a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament each day, and you just read it. As you read through the Old Testament, some of you, for the first time, you're going to come across the Levites. The Levites were the priests. And the priests weren't just butchers who slaughtered animals to appease man's sin and to, under the sacrificial system, bring those offerings to God. But they were also the teachers. They were the ones who spoke to the people for God. We see Ezra, who's reading the law to the returning uh, exiles. And he, and he brings out the law of God and he's reading it to them. And the priests, it says, quote from, from uh, Nehemiah 8, read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. <clears throat> and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. These are the Israel, these are the Levites who are teaching the people so that they might understand what's being read in the, in the, the law of God. We have John the Baptist who comes on the scene. And what does John the Baptist preach? He preaches about his cousin, Jesus, who's coming on the scene. Jesus preached at the start of his ministry in Mark chapter 1. It says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And how does Jesus end his ministry? 
He ends it, Mark 6, 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news. He starts preaching, he raises up disciples, he sends them out preaching. The apostles preached. Paul already mentioned one of the most prominent as he strategically laid the foundation for the church to grow, moving from place to place, laying the foundation so that the church could grow and spread throughout the whole region. He instructed his young apprentice, Timothy, in what he was to do. And here's what he instructed. He sat him down and he said, Timothy, I want you to form a committee. I want you to take lots and lots of polls to see where kind of public you know, relations are. And I want you to make sure that everyone feels super involved and super important. No. He says it right here in our passage. He says, Timothy, preach the word. That's what he says. Paul had such a trust that the word of God was going to be that which would grow and expand and instruct and comfort and rebuke and do all these things that the word of God does to us that he told Timothy, you preach the word. All right, when? When should he preach the word? Essentially, he's saying preach no matter what. What does the text say? It says be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared, be ready, have a sense of urgency, be insistent on this. Timothy, you're always to be on duty. There's not times where it's going to feel opportunity. It won't seem ripe for opportunity, but you keep preaching. It'll be convenient sometimes, and sometimes it won't. Keep preaching. Timothy, sometimes you'll feel really, really strong, and sometimes you won't. Keep preaching. Preach the word. Richard Baxter, one of my favorite long-time-ago preachers who's dead, said this, I preached as never to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. I shouldn't say he's dead. I should say he's alive, by the way. He's left his body. In season, there are times that you will feel, as you share your faith, as you talk to people, as if you are carried along by the Holy Spirit, you will have the words to say. God will bring passages to mind verbatim that you haven't struggled or strained to memorize before, and it will be exactly the right word in exactly the right moment, and you should sit and shudder at that moment and say, wow, God, that was, that was all you. You know how people say that? That was all God? There are, there are times in season when you preach, when you proclaim, and that's the experience. I've had this happen many times, but I remember one of the first times it happened so prominently. I was driving an international student home, and we'd enjoyed a meal together. We were welcoming about 300 international students, and I prayed. I said, God, if the eight people that sit at my table, would you allow me to share, would you allow me to share the gospel with, with one of them at least? I'm giving this Japanese student a ride home. We became fast friends after this. But he said this to me. After the last person was dropped off, I had dropped off about three or four others. After the last one, it was just he and I. He said, said, Dave, you seem so full of life and happy. Is there anything specific that has caused this to occur? (laughs) And so I mumbled something about prayer and going to church once in a while. No, I shared the gospel. I said, yes, there is. And I was able to just share the gospel. Volleyball players, this is called bump, set, and you're up in the air like this above the net, right? You just swing your arm. That's it. Closed deal. I had the rare opportunity to preach um, in rural China in 2005. 
These are Bible college students whose whole village had saved up enough money so that they could go off and live for a term, about a year long, in some pretty cruddy conditions for the sole purpose of being trained in the ways of understanding the scriptures so that they could come back to their village and preach the word of God. That's who I'm preaching to. In season is preaching to people who are starving for instruction from the word of God. They were all given um, one commentary, the only commentary they'll probably ever own in this life. And there were just tears coming down their faces because they now own something that was going to help them uh, grow in the scriptures. I have this marvelous picture where I asked everyone to just hold up their book for a moment so I could snap a picture. <clears throat> in season preaching, in season sharing of your faith is really fun. There's also out of season. Out of season is when there are unresponsive hearers, when it's uphill work, when you're being ignored or countered or mocked for what you're saying about Jesus Christ. Out of season preaching is a little bit like fishing all night. And then Jesus says, hey, try the other side of the boat. And it's been out of season. You haven't had a single bite. And you say, well, at your bidding, Lord, I guess I'll try over here. I guess I'll, I'll try over in this area and try it with this person. And so you keep pressing on. There's a certain holy persistence that comes with being a Christian. You keep proclaiming because you believe this is the message of life. You keep being transformed and renewed and re-energized by the gospel as you hear it and meditate on it and think about it and celebrate it with your people here on a Sunday morning. I have a certain golden ticket. Sometimes I'm talking with people and I say, listen, I don't mean to get too preachy on you, but I am a preacher. So then I just keep going, right? I'm allowed to because I'm a preacher. Sometimes people don't want to hear it, and I'm not there to shove it down their throat. I'm going to be responsive and respectful to them. But there's in-season and out-of-season. James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. You know, one of the benefits of continuing to preach when it's out-of-season is you begin to, to realize, you know what, my faith really is in the Word of God, or else I would try something different. This doesn't feel very effective right now. I don't get a giant sense that people are responding to this, but I'm going to keep, by faith, putting out the Word and letting it have its effect on our people. That's when you should preach. What does the passage say about what you should preach? Deliver God's word. If whoever stands up here is delivering God's word, then two things can be ensured. Your time won't be wasted, and the person who's giving their life to studying this and preparing it for people, their life won't be wasted. What a tragedy to get at the end of a preaching career and having just preached kind of ideas. I have someone in my, in my family who spent an entire career in the religious services industry. He stood much like I am right now, week after week after week in front of his congregation, and he shared, and he taught, and he preached, and he did things. And at the end of his career, he graduated from God, renounced his faith, and basically said it was all a sham. I was in sixth grade, going into sixth grade. I spent a summer with this relative. I could have told you in sixth grade that when I looked at my dad's faith and my dad's life, who I lived with my entire life, and I went and spent six weeks with this relative, easy for a sixth grader to see something totally different. 
I probably could have saved him some time and just said, stop doing that earlier. Find a different career. Do something different. Don't waste the people's time. Don't get to the end of of your career and have given yourself to something that doesn't matter. Deliver God's word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, it says. I'll tell you a giant sigh of relief for any preacher who's ever going to stand up and lead a Bible study, uh, 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 preach the gospel, or preach a sermon. And that is this, that preachers are not responsibility for manufacturing. Preachers are responsible for delivering. I don't have to come up with the truth. I don't have to dream it up. I'm simply to deliver it to you. Those who are in error, Timothy was to correct. Those who were sinning, he was to rebuke. Those who were uh, doing well, he was to encourage. There's all kinds of facets to preaching ministry. Proclamation and correction and rebuke and encouragement. If you look in context of what he says, he just said a chapter earlier in in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, all scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. The reason you see and sense such diversity in preaching, even over the course of a year at the same exact church from the same exact person, is because the Bible is chock full of variety. Preaching sounds different according to the need and according to the season. There are seasons where it's wake up and get to work. It's time to move. When we hear that morning alarm clock, it's not nice, but it's needed, right? We don't like the morning alarm clock sound, but we need it. That's some sermons. We also get to hear when it's quitting time. Hey, the day's work is done. Put down your work. Rest. It's the weekend. Some sermons call you to Sabbath. How about the dinner bell? In our house, the dinner bell is there's scurrying that comes from all directions. Uh, people in our home, particularly teens, are suddenly and instantly cured of something called selective hearing. Selective hearing is when you hear just some of the time, and what they couldn't hear earlier, which was set the table, they now hear dinner's ready, right? And they, and they come and they show up. Some preaching is dinner time. Then it's just food for your soul. We also hear the fire alarm, keeping people ready with their evacuation plans. In my house, my dad periodically ran an actual fire drill. So we knew what we were supposed to do. He was an engineer, not a fireman, but he, he just was well prepared. So we knew which tree to meet at. We knew how to escape the whole deal. Some sermons are fire alarms. Some sermons are a bugle call to the elect to attack, to advance in the darkness and say it's a call to arms to get moving on that. Some alarms are external and can be heard externally and measure external things. Uh, Some of them are alerting you to dangers within. Some sermons are a little bit like being hooked up to a hospital bed and having a monitor go on your heart, go on your blood pressure, and just be able to start dissecting. Uh, The passage was read this morning that the Word of God judges the intentions and thoughts of of men and women such that you sit there dumbfounded. How, How did the preacher know? The preacher didn't know. God knew. And God wrote a book, and it's called the Bible, and it's reading you right now. Some sermons are the sound of a lullaby. It's a sweet, tender song that draws you into a deep, deep, deep state of comfort and rest. Where you just get to let it out and soak into that which you are eternally secure in. You know, any given week, pastors all over the world are getting feedback. Uh, Pastor, that was too simple. Give me the meat. 
Next moment, someone says, man, good sermon, Pastor. Way over my head. You got any milk on you? I need something a little bit lighter. Oh, that was too much sin, Pastor. Not enough sin. Uh, Pastor, that was so, so encouraging. Thank you. Next person. That was so mushy. That was a Hallmark card. Please stop it. (laughs) Now, you all, most of you, are kinder than that. But there's always feedback coming to the person preaching. Here's what I've learned. If you keep preaching, know that you'll offend everyone sometime. Eventually, you're going to get to it, right? This is true in my house every single night at dinner. Someone is thrilled with the meal. Someone else is filing a formal complaint with the management, right? That's just it. We just keep feeding them, and we try to follow the founder of Chick-fil-A who said this, Food is essential to life, therefore make it good. We believe in a well-prepared meal that feeds the congregation. I don't want it to sound like a phone book when we get up and just, just, just give you truth, like a truth dump. But I recognize that as we do that under the Holy Spirit's direction, there are some of you that are going to love hearing it, some of you that won't. How are we to preach? Timothy, how are you to preach? Lovingly. He says, with complete patience and teaching. What does complete patience and teaching look like? I want you to listen. Some of you might need to close your eyes because you're a distracted bunch. Close your eyes and just listen to 1 Thessalonians 2 for a moment. This is the same uh, author, Paul, writing about his time to the church at Thessalonica. He says, For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Open your eyes for a moment. Let me give you three things that stand out about that. One is he uses the word we all through that. Did you catch that? Is Paul a prominent figure in the churches? Of course he is. But he wasn't alone. He had a team. You will see a wide variety of people leading in worship and preaching here. And that's because we see that patterned in the scripture, that there was a team of people. Secondly, what I want to highlight is he says, each one of you was exhorted. We exhorted each one and encouraged you and charged you. The point to that is this. Paul cared about people that make up the crowd, not just gathering a crowd. He cared about each one. He didn't just dump truth on them, but there was follow-up care on how to walk in a manner worthy of God. At our church, strategically, here's how we we do this. Here's how we accomplish this as as under-shepherds to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We formed community groups where we meet, we carve out time in a busy Silicon Valley lifestyle. We say we are going to sit down. We are going to be face-to-face. We're not going to settle for a text or FaceTime. We're going to gather and pray and discuss the word and discuss our lives and commit ourselves afresh to the Lord. That's community groups midweek. We have house visits. The elders have committed to this work for a long time where we will be in our members' homes. We will periodically show up at your door, usually not unannounced. Don't panic. But we just want to get to know you. We just want to say that each one of you matters. Each part of the body is really, really important. We're to know and shepherd each part of the body. And so how do we do that unless we come and know you individually? 
as pastors, Ben and I have office hours. All the elders and community group leaders spend time in written and spoken and lived instruction, being an example, saying to you, not in a prideful way, but in a humble way, follow us as we follow Christ. That doesn't mean perfectly, but that means we know how to battle sin. We know what to do with our sin. We know how to pursue God and live sacrificially. We want to lead by example. Not only should we do it lovingly as preachers, but verse 3 is interesting. It says, people will not endure sound teaching. That tends to indicate that there must be such a thing as sound teaching. We've got to be striving for the how of preaching is to preach in a sound way. What does sound teaching look like? A lot of times people want to pit expository preaching versus topical preaching. I think that topical preaching and verse-by-verse preaching can be bad preaching. That is to say, you just read the passage and then say whatever you want about it. I think that both topical and verse-by-verse can be expository. Expository preaching, quite simply, is that the vibe of the passage is the vibe of the message. Not just the point of the passage is the point of the message, but the whole tone and vibe. Because as you read through the scriptures, there are, uh, there are all different ways of things being said. Dads can be warning their children to stop from stepping into the street. The kid can misread that as anger. The dad needs to bend down, get on kid's level and say, son, I wasn't angry at you. I was passionately in love with you and I care about your safety and I was being urgent that's a true story this week you can say things right and you need to carry the tone and the weight of what it is in one season where your own life is demanding that you have someone firm and telling you where the line is and to get back in line like a personal trainer if on that week what you hear is a lullaby because that's where the text is and that's where God's led the congregation that week, you're going to come away thinking, wow, we have such a mushy preacher. All he does is preach soft stuff. And the reverse can be true. So, so much depends on what's going on even in your own life as to how you receive it. You ought to demand of your church, and again, I say this, demand in a loving way. Expect the word of God to be exposed to you. The word of God to be central to our worship. And I ought to be giving myself, Ben ought to be giving himself to preaching God's word to people, to feeding people the book. Neighborhood Bible Church most often goes through books of the Bible. And right now we're in a a topical series. The church is God's idea. We're taking 11 weeks to just say, what does the Bible have to say about the church? But we just came off of going through the book of Judges, right? Going through the book of Judges and going through books in general tend towards some things. They tend to keep the church from always being preached to about the pastor's pet issues or the things that he's most excited about. When you go through a book, you're often surprised. I was very surprised going through Judges at A, just how relevant it was to Silicon Valley 2015 and just how gracious God is. Didn't get that on my first read of Judges. I want to close with this. How is it that I become a good listener of preaching? How do I receive the word well? Let me give you four things to remember. Number one is remember that you are called to grow up. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. You are called to grow up. Jesus didn't come just to make converts, but followers. So here's the point. Anytime 
the Bible is opened in front of you and someone is speaking from it, you have something to learn. Humble yourself and say, this guy is butchering every transition. This guy doesn't know how to turn a phrase. This guy ought to tell a story once in a while. I don't care how good or bad the preaching is. If the Bible's open, it's being read from, you have something to learn from it. So take notes, follow along, and say, God, help me see past the messy messenger and get to your message, to the heart of what you would want to say to me this morning. In the Great Commission, he says, Go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Do you notice it's not enough to memorize all the commands? That's not what I'm called to do. That's not what you're called to grow up in. I've memorized all Ten Commandments. I'm done. It's to observe them. It's to walk in them. That takes time. That takes, that takes some real thinking. That takes some real intentionality to say, God, how do, I, how do I let this take root in my marriage? How do I let this take root in my career plans, in my dreams, in my spending of time? And money. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Ask, what is one thing I'm going to do with the truth that I've heard here today? One thing. What's just one thing? I'm going to make a habit in 2016 of jotting down one thing of all that I've heard today. What's the one thing I should be doing? And then here's part B, really important. Do it. Don't just write it down, put it in your little note of religious things, but actually go and live it out. I'll tell you what makes me hungry week after week after week to dive into God's word day after day is when you receive truth and you go try to actually walk in it, it makes you hungry for more truth. God makes you hungry for more truth as you live your life by faith and not by sight. Here's number two. Remember that there are good ways and bad ways of listening to preaching. You have an active role in this. When you ask someone, hey, what makes a good church? Often they'll say this, good biblical preaching. Why do you like your church? Well, they preach from the Bible. There's good biblical preaching going on. Yet how often does someone mention about a church that there's good, solid biblical learning going on? Or there's good, solid biblical doing that happens as a result of the preaching? A healthy church is not only one that has biblical preaching, but biblical listening. Each and every week, Preacher and congregation come together in corporate worship around the Word of God. The preacher while he speaks, the congregation while they listen. And together, it's a corporate thing. We are worshiping God and God meets with His people as we do that collectively. What's a bad way of listening to a sermon? Well, from our passage today, not putting up with sound preaching, right? That doesn't tickle my ears very well. I've got these passions that don't fit in with that theology. Knock it off. I'm going to write the pastor a bad email because it's not fitting with me. That's a bad way to listen to it. How about this? Knowledge puffs up. If you are listening to sermons, reading books, studying theology, so you can acquire more and more knowledge and be better than all the rest and put people down, that's a bad way of listening to it. If you are listening to it with a critical spirit, that's a bad way of listening to it. Now hear me, I hope you listen to what's being said each and every week critically. That shifts into a good way of listening to preaching. A good way of listening to preaching is like the Bereans. The Bereans from Acts 17 received the word with all eagerness. Do you catch that first part? They received it with all eagerness, were hungry, Fill us up with God's word. It says this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They received the word with eagerness. 
But then they also went and checked it out to say, is that true? Our pastor said something, but he's not the paid person to think for the community. Let me look at the scriptures and see if that actually is true or not. Number three, remember that you are called to preach. You may not be called to be a preacher, but all Christians are called to preach. We're sent out by Jesus to testify. There's a great promise that most in this room would nod their head in agreement to. It's found in Romans 10. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Preach it. But here's the second part. How then can they call on one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Jesus sent you out to proclaim and to testify. I'll tell you the American lie is this. That verse means invite them to church so my preacher can preach at them. That's not what it means. I hope you invite them to church, but I hope you preach at them. I hope that you testify. I hope that you share openly. I hope you come alongside and live the gospel as much as you speak the gospel to them. We are called to preach. Long before I was called to preach, I learned from my pastors just how to preach. I had a newfound faith in high school. I had a bunch of non-saved friends that I grew up with. I wanted to know how to communicate with them. You know how I did that? I went to church. And when my pastor said stuff, I thought, oh, that's a good way of saying that. I've never thought of saying it that way. And I would jot it down. And then I would fumble and stumble and try to use some of that on my friends. I learned how to think through the Bible. I learned how to say some things. I learned how to communicate the, the, the gospel in a variety of different ways. And I got it down pat. And I prayed that God would allow me to use it regularly so I wouldn't forget it. I challenge you to do the same thing. Finally, remember to keep listening. In season and out of season preaching. In season and out of season listening. I commend you, church. Week after week, I see you sitting in this place receiving God's word by faith. Sometimes you're hungry for it. Sometimes it's all you can do to drag yourself in here and sit still for a few moments. This church has an incredible legacy of people who keep on listening. We've been together, many of you and I, for, for nine years, almost ten years this coming November. Uh, November. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Keep on listening. As we hear the word of God preached, keep at it. Do you want to know when you won't need to listen to sermons anymore? When Jesus returns. We're in a state right now where we see dimly. We have to live by faith. And so God's word is going out. There's coming a day when we'll see really clearly and that won't be needed anymore. I'm looking forward to that day. I don't know about you. Should we learn to eat and prepare food for ourselves? The answer is yes, of course. But you should also receive what has been prepared and is being served to you on Sundays at your church. When we studied through Galatians, we saw that the Galatians fell away to a false gospel, which was really no gospel at all, for the simple reason that they stopped listening to sound preaching. They got off and they went astray. Their particular sin of choice was they started trying to earn grace. They become moralists. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, listen. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Keep listening. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That, in a nutshell, friends, is the gospel. 